No, because I've got a blank screen. And I heard your phone. And you heard my phone, so I'm going to go and switch that off. <laughs> It's Friday, June the 30th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Rail Map Fact Checker, and with me today is Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and crazy-ass political devotee. Hmm. Yes, uh, I, I, can't, I don't understand why, this, why we never mentioned this uh, Twitter account which refers to my job title, because it is, hmm. I think the best Twitter account ever. Uh, <laughs> it is. It is uh, called Crazy Ass Moments in Dutch Politics. We will link to yeah. that Twitter account in the liner notes, but it is it is literally the best the best Twitter account ever. It, it just um, randomly picks, yeah, as the title says, Crazy Ass Moments yeah. in Dutch <laughs> Politics. And very regularly, I, I, I see a tweet uh, pass by and I think, and I uh, completely forgot about it. So it's, it's just a constant stream of like ridiculous things in the past. And uh, you tend to think of Dutch politics as being quite dull and stayed and not much happens. And then you suddenly remember, oh yeah, there was that time that Balkanender fell off the skateboard. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and stuff like that, yes. And uh, yeah. I think the latest tweet um of that account uh was the infamous uh campaign video of rita verdonk um, ah i was just thinking of that actually just as we were talking about this account thing i wonder if they put that up yeah yeah they only did it uh, yeah. two days ago or something so uh right. yeah it's also it's it's one of the highlights highlights of dutch uh, dutch politics and definitely a crazy moment we refer to this mm. campaign video i think at least uh, 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 every two weeks or something on this podcast yeah uh, and the best thing mm. about this account also is that it is in english so uh, everyone who doesn't speak oh, yeah Dutch uh, can also follow this and they give very short very brief but very compact but also very well written um, uh, uh, context about what 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 you are seeing so uh, they, they're yeah. also very good uh, in that regard so uh, you can just uh, as a as a non-Dutch speaker you can just follow it and you can immediately know what's going on so uh, yeah and you can find that things are a lot more entertaining in Dutch politics than they seem at first and it's part of a series as well I think that there are other accounts like crazy ass moments in US politics and Italian politics politics Itali italian politics is a good one obviously and there's a british politics one which uh, i think yesterday put up a great picture where um the tallest mp in parliament uh, daniel kuczynski who's six foot nine which is about two meters three i think two meters five even uh photographed himself standing next to rishi sunak and Rishi just looks like it just looks like sort of a, a ventriloquist and his puppet, right? That's what it is. <laughs> it is. It is an amazing. Picture. It is a bizarre photo. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> there was also recently a photo of Mark Rutte standing next to him, uh, and yeah. and I don't know why, but my my uh, impression was that uh, Sunak wasn't a short person. I mean, Mark Rutte is of course a tall person, but just to see yeah. them standing next to each other, it just. Uh, yeah, reminds you of how tall the Dutch is. Also, when um, I think uh, uh, Rutte and Hoekstra visited Joe Biden in in in, in yeah. Washington D.C., they were they were standing next to each other for the photo. And yeah, it, uh, Joe Biden seemed such a small man all of a sudden, even though. Uh, and of course, um, yeah, there was also a picture I think of uh, Rutte and uh, no, Rutte with Sunak and Macron. So it just looked, and it just looked like he was like sort of taking his children out to the theme park. You know, so. Yes, yes, indeed, yes. What have you been? 
been uh, have you been studying maps have you been uh, uh, have you been promoted to the to the russian army uh, or, or, or what, what, what has happened <laughs> well, uh, I think um, somebody at a Yahoo News has been using a map that uh, is about as reliable as the Russian army's yes. uh, war charts. Uh, because um, yeah, there was. Uh, uh, th th this goes back to a story that we've covered a couple of times. I think um, the uh, statue that was put up outside Rotterdam Central Station that caused a big fuss and is a statue of an anonymous black woman wearing Nike trainers and uh, sparked a notorious column and um, uh, in an essay uh, about why is this why is a statue to this person? It's a sculpture, really, rather the statue but the NSA columnist said why is there a sculpture to this person when we don't know who she is and she's never achieved anything and a huge big row about it anyway the latest installment of this is that a Yahoo News picked up on the story and uh, they uh, the, their reporter said that the uh, the sculpture the statue was uh, outside Rotterdam Central Station which is the largest station in Amsterdam <laughs> which uh, immediately unleashed uh, the Rotterdam Amsterdam wars that will go down in in history yeah yeah, uh, yeah it's a it's a bit odd uh, isn't it? It's like saying, yeah, yeah. Uh, Boston Central Station is the largest station of New York City. It's the same thing, right? Yeah, they they are large cities. They relatively large cities. They are nearby, but I mean, uh, just look at a map. Um, the Netherlands is not just only Amsterdam. We have more cities than that. <laughs> Yeah, but it does feed into, into this stereotype that uh, you know Americans particularly, but uh, actually most most tourists just think of the Netherlands as being Amsterdam because that's where you fly to, and most people don't go any further. And the Amsterdam tourist Amsterdam, organization also misuses this uh, this uh, this misconception because often they they brand places like Muiderslot as Amsterdam Castle or yeah. uh, Sandford as Amsterdam Beach. I mean, yeah, it is. Um, uh, um, it is misleading. We're not just Amsterdam. It's also yeah. something that the Amsterdam Tourist Board... Uh, okay, people in Amsterdam often think that the Netherlands is just Amsterdam. Everything in between the <laughs> A10 uh, uh, ring road of Amsterdam is is, is the Netherlands. But there, is, there are other places outside that as well. Um, yeah, and of course the Amsterdam Tourist Board now is trying to encourage people to go, or the city council is trying to encourage people to go outside Amsterdam. So they've kind of reversed, ferreted on yeah. that, and they're now trying to say that uh, there's lots of other places outside the city. But the clue kind of you'd have thought was in the name of the station being Rotterdam <laughs> yeah, Central. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, at least they didn't think we were in Denmark, so that's a plus. Well, that's yeah, the, 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 that's the usual mistake that uh, Americans make. That's true. So uh, I, I guess we, we can call that progress. But uh, yeah, anyway. But, but the entire Dutch media jumped on this, and uh, you know, at a five and uh, various other uh, news outlets, uh, yeah, uh, pointed out this uh, rather um, egregious error yeah. by uh, by Yahoo News. So that was enjoyable. And that brings us to the uh, op of the week. This time it comes from Junior Health Minister Maarten van Orion, who I didn't know existed. But um, this is this is also always good about op -have. You you uh, learn the names of all the cabinet ministers uh, that you have uh, yeah until previously uh, have never uh, even noticed. Uh, so Maarten van Orion, he is a uh, Christenunie minister, and he uh, has embarked on a crusade against alcohol in sports club canteens. The minister is currently working hard on plans to improve uh, people's lifestyle and encourage them to live healthier and uh, reducing the consumption of alcohol is an important way to achieve that. Um, a list of possible measures has leaked to the Telegraaf and uh, the Telegraaf wouldn't be the Telegraaf is, uh, if they uh, <laughs> wouldn't make a, 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 a juicy headline out of this. Um, the measures uh, include bans on serving alcohol in sports 
in sport canteens selling wine and special beer uh, that is um, stronger beers in supermarkets uh, also increasing taxes on alcohol products by 50% was one of the proposed measures and the Telegraph accused Van Ooyen in its headline of draining the sports canteen or yeah I, I, drooglegging is the Dutch word but mm. yeah you can also use that for um, poldering a, a, a lake for example but it also yeah, refi- yeah. Uh, refers so, so, to so drying out drying out the sports yeah, canteen exactly. yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah the, the newspaper also made parallels with the proposal of Denk in Amsterdam which they uh, yeah very populistically uh, described as the uh, Islam party Denk um, who mm. proposed to ban selling alcohol during the World Cup in Qatar the article led to outraged comments on social media with people calling the plan bezopen um, yeah, which is a nice play on words. Yes, uh, yeah. and saying that it was uh, very typical of a minister of a Christian Orthodox party to ruin the fun, <laughs> even though I'm unfamiliar with the religious problems uh, 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 Christian people have with alcohol. I don't think that's a thing, but people yeah, jumped on it. They called it Christian fundamentalistic and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's more just the idea, the idea that kind of a Puritans yeah. uh, wrecking the party. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Telegraph also did it very nicely. So they started uh, the morning with this article and then uh, during the afternoon while the OPEF was a little bit cooling down, they uh, released a second article saying that we even have more measures on the list that even will shock you <laughs> even more. And one of these plans was uh, yeah, banning the sale of alcohol between 7 p.m. and 10 a.m. or something like that. So 7 p.m. and 10 a.m. or 7 a.m. and 10 a.m.? 10 p.m. and 7 a.m. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So ah, 10 p.m. and 7 a.m. All right. Okay. So, so, so it's kind of back to the, uh, the, 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 this is something we trialed during coronavirus, isn't it? That you, you couldn't yeah, buy alcohol after 8 thing. o'clock. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a similar thing. Yeah. Uh, but this will also apply to uh, cafes and bars and horeca. Right. So, very extreme measure. Um, a spokesperson uh, for Van Ooyen emphasized that the plan was only in a preliminary stage and the list was far from definite. So, what happened here is that Van Ooyen um, has the coalition agreement that says that we want to reduce the uh, uh, usage of alcohol, underminers, uh, alcohol abuse, stuff like that. Mm. How are we going to achieve that? And uh, officials just make a list of all the possible things they, they can come up with. Yeah. Um, and then with the idea of, yeah, then we can uh, select uh, uh, certain elements uh, yeah. uh, uh, later. So it's a brainstorming the, session, the, basically. It's a brainstorming yeah. session, yeah. yes. And what happened is the Telegraph got hold on this yeah, the, the the document that was made after this brainstorm session, and they presented it presented it as if this was already a plan which was on the brink of being uh, you know proposed to Parliament, yeah. which wasn't the case at all. They managed to rouse a lot of opeth. Um, uh, as the Telegraph uh, manages to do on a regular basis. Yeah. So uh, yeah. compliments to them. This week, Justice Minister Delania Silgas raised Geert Wilders' political wardrobe. The farming talks are still stuck in the mud, but the tractor protests are withering. There's gridlock in the inquiry into COVID lockdowns. The Netherlands plunges down the international league table on children's rights. And we have a humdinger of a one-day cricket match to tell you about. I'm so excited. I can see. Dutch police will be banned from wearing religious items of clothing such as headscarves, yarmulkes, turbans and crucifixes when they're in uniform. 
Justice Minister Didalia Silgas endorsed a motion by Peifefe MP Lilian Helder to formalise a ban in the police dress code. So after 19 years as a party leader, Geert Wilders has managed to get a second piece of legislation on the statute books. Well done. <laughs> and once again, it's about women's clothing. So we might want to call his psychologist about that. The minister said she wanted to settle the issue once and for all and preserve the neutrality of the police uniform. I hope the debate is finished and we will no longer have a discussion on this subject on the backs of police officers, she said. Yes, and uh, we uh, are far from uh, having uh, this debate uh, ended. Yeah. Um, so have the police actually asked for this? Who, who has asked for uh, this? Well, the PFFA, obviously, the anti lizard party of <laughs> builders. The police haven't asked for it at all. In fact, several officers went onto social media immediately to criticise the minister for concocting a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. Um, yeah. One neighbourhood officer in Rotterdam, André van Wingerden, said it would put Muslim girls off joining the police force, which of course is pretty much what the PFFA want. Lisbeth Hauser, acting head of the National Police Force, said she wanted to keep an open mind on the issue, but she has said in the past that uh, it's a matter of time, really, before headscarves are incorporated into the police uniform, as they have been in other countries, such as the UK. Yes, and um, yeah, this will not end the debate, right? Obviously not. No, in fact, uh, it really stirred up the debate all over again, and the hornet's nest, yeah. um, and ignited a yeah a huge debate on Twitter, in newspaper columns, talk shows all over the country. Uh, the divide mainly between people who think that neutrality is defined by what clothes police officers wear, and those who think that uh, actually what kind of people wear the uniform is more important. The National Coordinator for Combating Discrimination and Racism, Rabin Baldusing, said he was disappointed and surprised by the decision. This is driven by political motives to exclude a specified group, namely the Muslims in our society, he said. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, Yuselgas has, tele has um, telegraphed this in the past. She said she's determined to make sure that um, police officers cannot wear religious apparel. And it is basically all about headscarves, uh, because that is the most visible item of gear. And of course, uh, Muslim yeah. women, if they want to join the police, um, will also, well, not on, on the whole, uh, you know, if you exclude them from wearing headscarves, that means that really just excludes um, a whole section of um, uh, the, fe the female population from joining the police force. And ultimately, if you, if you have a police force that's not, and it goes against the whole idea of making the police force more diverse and more representative of the community it serves. Um, and if you have a police force that is, you know, doesn't represent uh, the actual people on the ground, then it's not a neutral police force. Uh, I also don't think that um, this is this is a new law, right? Do, do we it's think not a, well, it might it's be not a new law as such? It's, it's the, 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 there is a, um, a prescription. You know, that, um, uh, in, 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 in the police regulations, there there is obviously a prescription on what police uh, wear as part of their uniform. And uh, basically, Silga says she would she would uh, upgrade this um, this description these 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 conditions. Uh, um, of police service uh, to, to specify, to say explicitly that uh, you are not allowed to wear um, uh, any kind of visible religious um, uh, apparel, basically. Um, might be brought to court. There is Very a, likely, I think. There is a... What's what's Article 1 of the Constitution again, Gordon? Yes, Article 1 is that one about uh, yeah, the, 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 that you will not uh, discriminate on grounds of uh, race or religious origin or gender. 
Yeah, yes. so uh, yeah, this uh, this uh, might have a chance to uh, to win a court case. Yeah, uh, I think. yeah, I think so. It's kind of aggravating because it's quite clear, you know, that the PFFA put this motion forward. It's quite clear, what, quite clear what their aims are. You know, Wilders wants fewer Moroccans, fewer Arabs, fewer Muslims in the Netherlands. But the fact that uh, Yasilgas has just swallowed this or tried to pretend, basically adopted this measure from a far right political party and then put this kind of gloss on it, saying this is a uh, an inclusive measure, which is which it clearly isn't. Uh, is really quite um, aggravating uh, and, 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 and uh, yeah, aggravatingly, aggravatingly naive uh, by, by the yeah. Justice Minister, I think. It's been over three and a half months since the provincial council elections, and while politicians in most provinces have managed to reach a coalition deal, most of them including the Boerburgerbeweging, the newcomer and big winner of the election, Noord-Brabant, Friesland and Utrecht remain without government as of yet. Two weeks ago, negotiations in Brabant collapsed after VVD, PvdA and GroenLinks were unable to meet PPP's demands in areas such as nature, agriculture and water management. And this week, the talks in the southern province have reached started but without BBB, um, which won uh, 20% and 11 seats in the provincial council. The other three are going to uh, try and form a coalition with D66, uh, the Socialist Party and Lokaal Brabant, uh, which is a uh, local uh, party as the name suggests. Um, Brabant, um, with its high concentration of intensive livestock farms, is one of the key provinces in the government's hopes of reducing nitrogen compound emissions. And in March, Brabant announced it was halting all large-scale building projects because of the fragile state of Natura 2000 areas in the province, uh, which must be protected from nitrogen pollution by law. Mm. <clears throat> so that's kind of interesting. So we now have a situation where BBB will not be in the coalition Brabant uh, or Utrecht, but it looks like in the other 10 provinces, um, they are still on course to be part of the administration. Uh, which other provinces are still working on the new coalition? In North Holland, uh, BBB, VVD, PvdA and GroenLinks are on the verge of reaching a coalition. So it's uh, basically a done deal. They only have to sign the, the paper. Interestingly enough, this is the, these are the same parties uh, as in South Holland uh, which includes uh, CDA as well but also the failed Brabant coalition talk so uh, it is interesting that in some provinces these combinations work and in other uh, they don't even though Brabant has yeah, as I said a more intensive uh, livestock uh, industry uh, North Holland and South Holland are uh, doesn't have that as much uh, uh, so that might be uh, that might be the difference yeah. I think in Brabant as well, there was a key issue about the cattle sheds, wasn't there, where um, Brabant yeah. has a deadline of uh, 1st of January 2024, obviously quite soon, to modernise all of the cattle sheds um, so that they're more, um, they're, they're cleaner and less polluting. Um, and the BBB wanted to be more flexible on that deadline and the other parties uh, said no. I think that's less of an issue in these other provinces. Yes, yeah. definitely. Uh, and in Friesland, PvdA pulled out last minute because it couldn't live with the proposed budget cuts on, on culture and nature. BBB is now going to try to restart talks with CDA, ChristenUnie, VVD and the Friesian National Party, um, which exists. Uh, yes. <laughs> this party ultimately wants an independent Friesian yeah. state. Good luck to them with yeah. that. Um, <clears throat> And the talks in Utrecht are still in gridlock, in total gridlock, I have to say, because the two winners, BBB and GroenLinks, uh, couldn't find any common grounds and refused to start negotiations with each other. And um, the political landscape there is so fragmented that it is very difficult um, to uh, to find a new coalition without uh, the combination of the two largest parties. So 
Um, yeah, gridlock in Utrecht as well. But in Groningen, the, that's the latest province that reached an agreement. Uh, the northern province where the government announced this week, by the way, that the gas extraction will be entirely terminated by October, will be governed uh, the coming years by BBB, PvdA, ChristenUnie and Groningen Belang. Mm. And it's worth mentioning that Suzanne Top of Groningen Belang is appointed to check take charge of the gas portfolio. She is the former secretary of, Gro- of the Groninger Gasberaad. That's a lobby group that represented a large group of victims of earthquakes caused by the gas extraction. And I think it is the first time that someone so close to this, um, to the earthquake uh, dossier is uh, is, is yeah. being put in power. So yeah. well, uh, somebody it will who be is interesting. So, sort of close to the uh, opposition to um, uh, gas extraction, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's uh, it will be uh, interesting to see how uh, yeah she will be doing in the next uh, years I think yeah so you've done a little run through of uh, all twelve provinces and now basically we are for eight provinces either have um, parties where, where we have kind of a coalition. Um, uh, agreed, or at least the parties have uh, signaled that they've uh, that, that they found a team to form a coalition. Um, so uh, what's uh, yes? Yeah, so, so if we run through this, we basically see that BBB uh, um, are in all of these eight provinces where we have um, an administration. The BBB are uh, in w- which parties stand out as kind of their as their coalition partners. I think two of them, yeah. um, GroenLinks, uh, which uh, yeah, yeah, on a which is almost a complete op- opposition of the BBB regarding uh, uh, agriculture and nature. Uh, but also, um, it's interesting that the CDR is uh, joining uh, the coalitions with BBB so often. BBB is basically a splinter party of CDR, yeah. right? They, 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 they took all um, of their votes, basically, in the, in the, in the rural areas, right? Uh, yeah. And also a lot of uh, uh, a lot of their representatives, yeah. a lot of the uh, administrators as well, uh, uh, wethouders, aldermen, uh, former MPs, they all went to Baby Bay. Um, so yeah, that's interesting that CDA is, uh, yeah, I think it's in the CDA's DNA to govern, right? So uh, whenever they are given the chance, they will take it. Yeah. Um, they, 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 they were formed in 1980 and I think they have been in basically every cabinet with the exception of, I think, five years or something uh, since that time. So yeah, they have been in power ever ever since they were founded so yeah they, it's in the dna to govern um but it's interesting that they are willing to to step into a coalition with uh we yeah, party that so opposes them basically mm. so, yeah um, someone wants yeah, to grind them down yeah yeah and it's been interesting i've, I've heard uh, hoon links uh, representatives in the provinces are talking on talk shows and they're very much pushing the line that uh you know we're not an anti-farming party we're a pro-farming party we just want you know farming to be uh more modern and sustainable right so that might help I mean that's not the uh, I think not that's not the uh, impression the broad public has no. of, of, of GroenLinks uh, but um, yeah that might be if that's really the case then it's of course very uh, it's easier to negotiate with BBB so uh, yeah it might be true because they they have joined uh, a coalition with uh, in so many provinces with them so yeah, uh, yeah there might be a, there, there might be some truth in, in that statement yeah. and BBB are not going into government with Dezes of Zestig anywhere that's what really no. stands out for me as well it's yeah. like that is really the polarity in the in, 
at this yeah, level. Yeah, and that uh, it's also has to uh, it's also the DSS, it's also D sixty six own fault because they have campaigned on the uh, in the promise that they would never step into a collision with BBB. Also, I think the most polarizing MP right now is Chirte Groot, D sixty MP. Uh, he is the spokesperson of stickstoff of nitrogen of agriculture, and he is really, um, yeah, not not the most constructive uh, guy on this <laughs> uh, on this issue to say the least. So uh, that uh, that might also be uh, uh, the reason why they uh, uh, why D sixty six was excluded in all the provinces. Uh, and I think it was uh, Dirk Boswijk, the CDA MP, who said that Chertegoot was the best campaigner for BBB mm. in the in the last provincial election. So uh, that says a lot about uh, yeah their willingness to uh, their oh, yeah their willingness to uh, uh, to to step into a partnership with uh, with baby Bay. yeah yeah to the chagrin of the CDA obviously and uh, we also have uh, another um, set of coalition negotiations underway because the Hague's administration has collapsed. Yes, that happened last night on Thursday. Uh, for once, this didn't happen on Friday, just after we recorded. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we can thank Richard de Moss for that. Yeah. Uh, in The Hague, uh, VVD decided to pull out of the coalition after PvdA and GroenLinks refused to restart negotiation for negotiations with Hart van den Haag. That's the party of Richard de Moss. Uh, last year, he was excluded from coalition talks because uh, back then he was still under investigation of fraud and corruption. But two months ago, he was acquitted on all charges and uh, the most now feels he has a right to join the coalition and reclaim positions in the college uh, as an alderman. But uh, VVD was very keen on reopening negotiations. Uh, with a possible extra right-wing partner, but this was vividly opposed by GroenLinks and PvdA. Uh, they assessed that yeah, there was an endless. Uh, there has been a debate, an endless debate for the past weeks, mm. and there was also uh, behind door, closed doors, right? And there was a, a a debate about this issue in the um, in the uh, Council of the Hague yep. last night, which lasted hours and hours and hours. This is Sester, another coalition partner, proposed uh, to start preliminary talks with all parties as a sort of compromise. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think they also said in the motion, um, especially with Hart for Den Haag, uh, this was uh, supported by GroenLinks and PvdA, but it didn't go far enough for the liberals of PvdA, and they subsequently stepped out of the coalition. So, um, yeah, the remaining parties do not have a majority. So, uh, yeah, they're going to need to find, or uh, yeah, they have to find uh, a completely different um, coalition for The Hague. And this is just another episode another chapter of uh, the l- ongoing chaos in yep. um, in the uh, administration of the municipality of the Hague yeah the, the soap opera um, that is uh, Richard de Moss yeah. and Harvard uh, and Haag and I guess I mean um, it, yeah you could see this coming really as soon as the court verdict came out uh, you know the next step but because the whole reason that Harvard uh, and Haag were not included in the coalition talks after the local elections was that this corruption case was ongoing so Richard de Moss yeah, now even came though they, even though they were the largest party in the yeah. council right yes yeah, the large party in the council, Richard de Moss, uh, after the verdict, then came back and said, I think quite reasonably, look, uh, you know, that this case is no longer hanging over my head, so can I join in? Um, and he even offered, he offered a compromise where uh, they would they would add one or two aldermen uh, to the um, to, to the local council cabinet, yeah, so that de Moss's party could take part, but no one else had to drop out to make way for him. Hmm. Um, but uh, and the Desens Zestercher agreed with this, uh, but um, the Groenings and PFDR didn't, and you can see what's happened. I mean, uh, Groenings 
Kingston PFDR basically didn't want another right-wing party, another populist party joining the administration. Day obviously were quite keen to make way for Demos because that uh, had to strengthen their position. Days of Sezestis were kind of caught in the middle. They are the largest party in the administration at the moment, um, mm. so that would weaken them. But on the other hand, you know, they are Democrats 66. I think they felt they couldn't really go against their principles that far. Um, and then they said that they were the party that said all along, you know, for as long as Demos is on trial, we won't talk to him. Yeah. So then the upshot of that is now he's no longer on trial. There wasn't really a reason not to. Um, and now I guess what's going to happen is that Demos will lead the talks to form a new administration, right? Yes, because he's the largest. So yeah, he yeah. has the uh, yeah, and the the unwritten rule is that the largest party uh, has the initiative in the first phase. So uh, yeah, um, at least he has the support of Faith Day. Possibly De Sesestig as well. I'm unfamiliar with the composition of the uh, Council of, De Sesestig, of, of, of The Hague. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I think they already have... There's a lot, lot of very small parties. Say they have got three seats. I'm mm. sure they will go on board. They'll be on board as well. Yeah, um, I think they already yeah. then have a large chunk of the of a majority. So um, yeah. yeah, good luck to them. And uh, hopefully <laughs> we will have a more stable administration in The Hague uh, for, the, for the remaining <laughs> time because uh, the soap opera really has gone uh, out of hand. But it has, yeah. be, has to be said that the uh, public prosecutor is uh, planning on appealing a number of the uh, charges... Uh, of uh, of uh, uh, from the so yeah, it yeah. might be that this whole circus will start over again. There um, could be another twist in the case. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. So more chaos with Richard de Moss. <laughs> Um, and there's been more drama in The Hague on Thursday uh, as well. Yes, the Tweede Kamer uh, hold a debate about uh, the failed talks between the government and the agricultural groups to agree on a plan for the future of sustainable farming. In short, the Landbouw Accord. Uh, this, uh, these talks collapsed last week, of course, after the largest farmers lobby group, um, LTO, pulled out. MP has demanded that Agriculture Minister Piet Adema would outline his new plan on the future of farming. Now the talks had collapsed, but the minister refused to give a detailed outline. Um, yeah, especially the opposition MPs were outraged that he didn't have a plan B ready, and because mm. this, uh, yeah, this uh, has been dragging on for so long now, you would think and that. And it was kind of not a surprise that the LTO pulled out either, was it? Because they, they they pulled out briefly a, a week a week earlier. Yeah, well, uh, Adama said that they had, um, you know, the the progress bar of the uh, uh, of the of the agreement talks was at 95%. So mm. they were very close on reaching a final deal, but um, ultimately the L- the LTO pulled out basically at the very last moment. So I don't think it was uh, uh, it was set in stone that these talks would uh, would collapse. It's just reasonable that if that would have happened, uh, the cabinet mm. would have a plan B ready. Um, yeah, as I said, because uh, this, this whole uh, saga is going on for so long. But uh, Adam has said that um, he now... He's now planning on having a plan ready in September, uh, a detailed plan ready in September. He wants to use the latest version of the non-agreement. He kept referring to it as the Neat Landbouw Accord. Um, and also mm. the reports of Mr. Stikstof, Johan Remkes, as a basis for the government's new plan. Um, Adama also said that he wants to remain in contact with the groups that pulled out of the agreement talks while he is working on the plans. Uh, but he emphasized that these discussions will not be negotiations. But he thinks it's important to have a support base among the group of people that uh, will be affected by uh, by the government's plans. So he, uh, he wants to remain as open as possible um, and uh, yeah, uh, uh, avoid a 
even more hostile environment than there already is, I think, um, yeah. because the debate was overshadowed by Pharma Defense Force Chairman Mark van den Oever, uh, who was accused of publishing the telephone numbers of several MPs the day before the debate on Telegram. Uh, the MPs were, yeah, uh, 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 they received hundreds and hundreds of phone calls from angry farmers. They were very intimidated by it, and a lot of uh, politicians spoke out against it. Um, it has to be said, though, that Mark van der Oever did call on his supporters to uh, call the MPs, but it was someone else who uh, published the um, uh, a supporter of form for. for a supporter of Pharma Defense Force who published uh, the telephone numbers, even though, yeah, um, that was uh, probably in 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 in, in uh, could have been expected, I think. Um, but uh, it was, and this was also very funny. It was an anonymous person on Twitter called Nietzsche de Glasgeitenbreier. <laughs> who, accu- <laughs> okay. who accused Mark van der Oever initially of uh, publishing the uh, telephone numbers. It was immediately picked up by a lot of people, including we had the bizarre moment that uh, Sigrid Kaag, the finance minister, quote tweeted uh, Nientje de Glasgeitenbreier condemning the publication of MPs. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's one for the crazy ass moments in Dutch politics, <laughs> I think. Um, but um, yeah. yeah, that was that overshadowed it, and there was also an, an, an another protest by farmers in the Hague. They said they they would come to the to the Hague with uh, thousands and thousands of angry farmers. That number was uh, turned out to be a little <laughs> bit less. Uh, the yeah. uh, Marieveld was almost empty, but uh, it did cause um, yeah uh, uh, um, hostile scenes, aggressive scenes uh, in front of the Tweede Kamer building. The riot police had to come out and arrest. Uh, I think 60 people were arrested. But uh, yeah, it yeah. was uh, it was. Um, um, uh, uh, a deja vu of, of the uh, farmers' protest, even though on a much smaller scale, fortunately. It, it does feel like these uh, the Farmers' Defence Force uh, have, uh, have kind of overshot themselves here, though, isn't it? Because um, they, they, you remember the huge farmers' protests that we had uh, at the start of uh, this, yeah, when the government first uh, had to come up with these plans to reduce nitrogen pollution. Um, but um, uh, Mark van der Noof, uh, uh, has been using this kind of very hardline rhetoric and saying we're at war with the government all the time. And that seemed to um, stir up a huge amount of um, uh, controversy at the time. But now it it just feels like uh, p- people are tired of it and yeah. they want to see uh, yeah, they, they, want, they, they want things to move on they want to see some kind of agreement and uh, you know Mark van der Noof kind of saying yesterday that um, he, he denied that he'd published the phone numbers but he also said uh, I have no problem uh, yeah. I'm not losing sleep over the fact these people are getting calls that's what telephones are for still being very <laughs> aggressive and, yeah. and, 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 and as a result of that Caroline van der Plas has said she wouldn't address the protest she wouldn't speak to protest she kind of distanced herself from uh, the, the, the more extreme the more, the more militant uh, section of the farmers protesters and it feels like uh, farmers defence force especially when you look at how few people turned up to this latest demonstration have kind of had their day and yeah. that the mood has shifted and even Jan Dijkgraaf uh, you know sort of uh, published uh, one of his uh, infamous letter columns uh, to Mark van der Neufer saying that uh, you know you've brought this on yourself Mark you've excluded yourself because uh, you've been far too hard line I think when Jan Dijkgraaf tells you you're too hard line <laughs> you, you, you know that you've uh, you, you, you've really overstepped the mark yes yes it's, uh, his aggressive rhetoric doesn't resonate as much as it did before I think and as you said yeah. that um, group seems to to be uh, shrinking and shrinking uh, by the day, by the week, by the month. 
The Netherlands has dropped 16 places in a global ranking of how well countries protect children's rights. The Kids' Rights Foundation, an Amsterdam-based think tank that compiled the rankings, said the development was shameful for a wealthy country and mainly reflected the lack of protection for vulnerable children. Kids' Rights founder Mark Delart told NOS, Children who are in trouble need to wait a long time before they are helped. If children need protection, there's often too little help, or none at all, and above all, the city or village where you live makes a difference. Countries have ranked on five criteria based on the UN Convention on the Rights for the Child. The Netherlands dropped below countries such as Germany, the Czech Republic and Belgium, and was not one Belgium. place ahead of... Not Belgium. Yes, below Belgium. <sighs> oh. Yeah, and Germany, but below Belgium. And also one place ahead of Turkey. Okay. Um, it was one of 11 countries that scored top marks for education, but it fared poorly on health and the environment. And it was also one of eight countries that received the lowest possible score on representing the best interests of the child. Oh, wow. And um, yeah. what was the global picture like? Yeah, not great. I mean, overall, the survey said the situation of children's rights was complex and gloomy. One in four children around the world are estimated to live below the poverty line, and that uh, got worse in recent the last couple of years, uh, mainly because of inflation caused by the pandemic and mm. the invasion of Ukraine, which has made food unaffordable for many families and children. Ukraine itself obviously was hit hard. Around a fifth of its children are likely to be displaced outside the country, kids' rights uh, estimates. And of course, in the occupied zones, Ukrainian children have been abducted and placed with Russian families. Yes. Miraculously, Ukraine still managed to claim 26th place in the overall rankings. Um, elsewhere, there have been natural disasters in Pakistan, Syria and Turkey. Around 27,000 schools in Pakistan have been washed away in the floods last year. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So that's a real huge blow. Uh, most of the lowest ranked of the 193 countries were in Africa, uh, with Chad in last place. But, but not all. New Zealand was 178th, uh, one place ahead of the United Kingdom. 178th? Really? 178. Okay, I can't quite get that. New Zealand being an un, uh, yeah, uh, unhealthy or unwelcome place to, to bring up children. It does surprise me. And even the UK, okay, things aren't great over there, but uh, you know, being in the, in the among the worst fifteen countries, you know, so way below Russia, way below places, you know, below places. I think, I think, um, you know, other places that are at war like Eritrea, um, that, that does seem uh, a bit, yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd like to know more. If you want to help us keep bringing you the hundred and seventy eighth best podcast about the Netherlands, there's one very easy way you can do it, and that's to give us some money through Patreon. Your donations mean we're able to put in the time and cover the costs of making these podcasts, and in return you get access to our bonus content, including the upcoming summer special, and of course our eternal gratitude, because we really do rely on your support um, to keep going. And it costs you as little as a euro, a dollar, or a pound a month. All new patrons also get a shout-out on the next episode to express our thanks. Um, but of course, it goes without saying that we are continuously grateful to all of our patrons for their uh, ongoing support. This week, we welcome one new podcast patron, Cosmin Stefaniga. Um, if you'd like to become a supporter of the podcast, you can log on to www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Dutch News NL. Preparation of the parliamentary inquiry uh, into the Netherlands pandemic response is put on hold until at least the end of the year because MPs want to wait for a key report. Coalition parties and GroenLinks say the third part of the report by the Dutch Safety Board is a crucial part of the evidence. 
The real reason for the delay, however, might have to do with the fact that Pepijn van Houwelingen, a Forum for Democracy and Independent, but former Forum for Democracy MP Wiebren van Haga, are also expected to take part in the committee. Uh, both parties have voiced support of numerous conspiracy theories surrounding the pandemic and vaccines, and they also denied the existence of a deadly virus. The two MPs have, uh, it's a public secret that the uh, two MPs have frustrated the proceedings of the inquiry committee because they have completely other ideas for the scope and aim of the parliamentary investigation. Other MPs complain that the two are prejudiced, with co- while committee members are supposed to take a neutral stand. Political analysts say that it's possible that the delay will ultimately lead to a cancellation of the entire inquiry, which is expected to last three years and will run through the general elections of March 2025. Um, also, um, a lot of MPs, a lot of parties have said that they simply do not have the time or the MPs available to um, uh, 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 to send to the committee, uh, which basically means that there are only four parties right now represented in that committee. So that's Forum for Democracy, PVV, Liane Den Haan, who is also an independent MP, and Wiebel yeah. van Haga, and uh, Chairwoman um, uh, Vera Bergkamp has said that uh, this is not a broad enough uh, representation for this committee to go through so until there are people who voluntarily say they want to take part um yeah it's uh, likely that this committee will not uh, see the light of day but lisa Westerfeld of Groen links said that um that the inquiry was focusing too much on whether, whether we took too many lockdown measures and not about uh, whether we actually we didn't do enough or didn't act quickly enough to uh, uh, shut things down when the pandemic first flared up yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, disagreement on on what exactly should be investigated. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's uh, it's a real shame if it's um, uh, if if this can if this inquiry is is cancelled because it's definitely something that needs to be investigated. When I heard that Forum for Democracy was going to join, uh, that was uh, I immediately expected that. Uh, yeah, we could uh, we could see an outcome happen like this. Yeah, yeah so. and it's kind of in line, I'm afraid, with the entire um, Dutch response to the uh, to, to the coronavirus pandemic. It's been very slow, sort of picking over tiny points, and uh, very prone to uh, giving into conspiracy theories. Uh, yeah. So. Um, yeah. So I'm um, no great surprise, frankly, that this is going to uh, be dragged on. Not at and, all. Uh, I'm kind of curious as well. So I mean, if it if they don't get started before. The, the general election does that mean that uh, or, or even if they if the, if the committee's ongoing when elections happen does that not mean they'll have to kind of reconstitute the committee if uh, some MPs aren't uh, if some parties are not returned to parliament uh, then they uh, will find replacements usually among yeah. the uh, the same political party but uh, yeah that's uh, th- that's how that happens uh, yeah yeah um, but obviously Lian Dunhan for example is on the committee and then doesn't get re-elected then uh, th- th- that's not an option they'll have to find someone from another party no so yeah uh, um, uh, uh, I think that's also part of the reason why it has to be as broad as possible, not only to 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 have a, a, a more neutral uh, view on, on things politically, but also to ensure that the people who are actually on the committee will remain on it after the election. So, or, or yeah, a large, yeah. large, large portion of that, because yeah, if the entire committee needs to be replaced after elections, then uh, yeah, the, the, they need to restart uh, all the work basically again. So um, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, we've also got some mixed uh, mixed results for um, uh, politicians who've been accused of uh, inappropriate behaviour and possible bullying. 
Yes, uh, last week, last episode, we talked about Education Minister Dennis Weersma and all the accusations uh, about that and his, uh, yeah, the new accusation that came to light uh, last week. Um, that was uh, the final straw. Dennis Weersma um, uh, has announced his resignation um, basically an hour after we stopped recording, I think. So yeah. uh, <laughs> that, that, that always happens. So Dennis Weersma uh, has resigned. There's uh, still no um, uh, substitute for him, I think, yet announced. I haven't seen anyone. No, I don't think, right? No, don't no. Even, no, no that mean name put forward, I don't think, no. No, there's no uh, new name put forward yet to uh, to yeah. replace him, but it's uh, he's from the Favour Day party, so we expect someone uh, from, from there. Um, also, what's, what was pretty funny is that he uh, put a lengthy resignation statement on, on Twitter, and yes. uh, it was clearly he didn't run it through one of his 19 communi- communication <laughs> um, uh, people because uh, there was an uh, there was a punctuation error in the first sentence of his yes. uh, statement. So that was yeah, uh, maybe they were just too scared to tell him. <laughs> that could be as well. Yes. Um, and also speaking of uh, people with anger issues, Jan Anthony yeah. Brown uh, is has been re-elected as Senate Chair, and this uh, VVD Senator was also accused of uh, misbehaving uh, towards his staff members his immediate staff members behind closed doors having uh, anger outbursts uh, and, and yeah, similar similar accusations as uh, Dennis Weersma however yeah. Jan Anthony Brown can still um, yeah, stay on and he uh, has been re-elected with the support of Baby Bay so that's also a uh, might be a sign of uh, of, of um, Sort of, you can see it as a political. Um, yeah, another branch. Yeah, the hand yet another. Yeah, yeah, from, from the baby bay towards the coalition. So um, yeah, there was one uh, opponent, Miley Vos, a uh, Labour senator. She was the faction leader of Labour uh, until uh, two weeks ago. Uh, GroenLinks and Labour, of course, uh, uh, have a joint faction right now, and their faction mm. will be led by a GroenLinks senator. Um, so Miley um, uh, uh, Vos was basi- is basically out of a job right now. Yeah. So she thought, well, if I can be a faction leader, let's uh, um, uh, let's take a l- uh, let's try and get the uh, chairmanship. Um, uh, but yeah, she was uh, she was defeated, uh, unfortunately yeah. for her. Yes. Oh, cricket! Yes, finally. <laughs> I know. I know. I know you, you. You couldn't wait for this moment. Yes, the sports news, and there's only one place to start this week. In fact, there's only one sports story at all. It's uh, the Takashinga Cricket Club in the Zimbabwean capital of Harare, because that's where the Netherlands and the West Indies served up an absolutely epic feast of one-day international cricket action. So um, this is in the uh, qualifying tournament for the World Cup. Oh, which it's is not even this the World Cup India. yet. Oh. It's not the World Cup yet. No, no, this, this is like the, pre- the, the preliminaries for the World Cup. Oh, okay. uh, there are 10 teams taking part in two groups. Um, and then uh, three teams at the end of this round, two teams have eliminated and the remaining six teams go into what's called the Super Six stage. Okay. Right? So, so immediately I've lost you. I know, but um, I'm the fascinated by by how <laughs> how how much this doesn't make sense uh, to me. So yeah. uh, continue. Okay, so uh, going to this match, uh, the West Indies and the Netherlands, as well as Zimbabwe, had already qualified for the Super Six, but so they already knew they were going through to the next stage of this tournament, which is where the two places for the World Cup will actually be decided. But crucially. 
when you go into Super Six, you you don't play the teams that you've already played in your group again. Okay. You do carry the points forward. So it's it was really actually really important in the context of the uh, final outcome, uh, who which team won this match. Um, so the Dutch and the West Indies had already lost to Zimbabwe, so they had no points so far, and really only the winners would retain any real hopes of going to the World Cup okay. next year. So a real crunch match. Uh, the West Indies batted first. Um, they racked up a score of 374 runs in their 50 overs. 50 overs is a 300 balls, so better, quite a long way ahead of one run a ball, so a very high score. And in fact, it, it was higher than the Netherlands' record score ever for a one-day cricket match, which was 319. So the Netherlands had to beat their all-time record by more than 60 runs. Uh, no, more than by 55 runs to, to, just to win this match. It was already a tall order, and by the time Bas van der Leyde was dismissed in the 30th over, uh, with a score at 170 for four, it looked like a lost cause. The Dutch needed to uh, hit about 10 runs off each over by this point. Um, but then Teja Nidamanuru, with 111 from 76 balls, and a captain's innings of 67 by Scott Edwards, got them back on track. Um, and then at that point, uh, the star of the show stepped up, uh, Logan van Beek, who played an absolute crucial role in the rest of the match. Um, van Beek's got some pedigree. His grandfather, Sammy Green, was from Trinidad and played five test matches for the West Indies. Um, he also played for, for New Zealand, which is uh, okay. a complicated backstory we won't go into now. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway... But Logan van Beek, uh, he proceeded to hit 28 runs off 13 deliveries uh, as the Dutch stormed back into the game. But then with just one run needed off the final ball, van Beek fell to a brilliant catch by Jason Holder. So he lost his wicket, the scores were tied, and it goes to a super over. Okay, a super over. (laughs) Super over. A super over, which basically means after your 50 overs, if the scores are level, each team now... Uh, plays one over so you bowl, you bowl six balls at your opponent you can choose any bowler and you can choose any two any three batsmen to face the deliveries okay so and that means that it includes batsmen have already been out so Logan van Beek who was out at the right at the end of the innings now immediately went back in again for the super over for the Netherlands super over <laughs> And, um, yeah, off the six balls, he hit 30 runs. Now, basically, the most you can really get off a, off a ball is, is six. So the most you can get off an over is 36. So he got, th- he got very close to the maximum possible score. Okay. Um, he hit f- four, three fours and three sixes. Um, and then uh, it was the turn of the West Indies to try and, uh, in, in, to try and beat that score. And guess who uh, was the bowler for this, uh, for the West Indies over? It was Logan from it was Logan from Bake. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, 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 so having now hit, so having hit, having hit six, six, six huge shots with the bat, it was now his turn with the ball. Um, he was not for six off the first, um, off the first ball by Jonathan Charles, but then he managed to restrict them to just two more runs. And for an icing on the cake, he actually took two wickets in the next two balls. So the 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 the, the West Indies were bowled out in the super over for just eight runs, and the Dutch won by twenty two. And that, uh, yeah, sent the Dutch into raptures. So, very exciting cricket match. Worth just uh, watching the highlights, even if you don't know what's going on, just to see balls being knocked about very hard. Um, and uh, it was obviously the easiest man of the match decision of all time, because, uh, yeah, uh, Van Beek basically t- t- turned the scores right around. 
The Netherlands now play Sri Lanka on Friday, which is uh, probably the crunch match. Sri Lanka, um, before the tournament, you would have said Sri Lanka and the West Indies were the favourites to qualify for the World Cup, mm. but now the West Indies will, will not go. Um, and probably the Dutch still need to win all of their three matches. Uh, firstly, Sri Lanka on Friday, then Scotland. Uh, and Oman um, uh, but whatever happens they will look back on a very memorable afternoon in Harare yes I opened the Wikipedia page of Logan van Beek and it says yeah. that in June 2023 van Beek became an overnight sensation and talk of the town all over the world <laughs> for his blitz in the super over against the West Indies at the 2023 Cricket World Cup qualifier um, so it's uh, 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 Wikipedia is also Impressed by his uh, by yeah. his uh, scores in the uh, in the in the match, yeah. even though I still have no idea what was going on. <laughs> <coughs> the Hermitage Museum in Amsterdam is renaming itself Heart Museum, uh, spelling uh, H apostrophe Art, and has uh, they, it has announced an official partnership with three international museums, giving it access to almost 160 million objects. The museum was founded in 2009 as a satellite of the uh, Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg, putting on exhibitions from its vast collection. Uh, last year, however, the Amsterdam branch decided to cut ties with the museum following Russia's attack on Ukraine even though it has been going on for eight years at that point, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. The newly branded Hart Museum will now partner with the British Museum, Centre Pompidou and the Smithsonian American Art Museum, starting with a major Kandinsky exhibition with the Parisian Modern Art Museum. So they uh, they can't get rid of uh, the Russian uh, the Russian uh, art. Russian uh, link altogether, no. Until, yeah. Hart will also have access to the entire 155 million objects of the Smithsonian family of museums and institutions. Uh, there was a small upheaval after a Belgian art magazine called Hart noticed the similarities between its name as well as its logo with the new of the newly branded museum, and they accused uh, um, Hart of uh, stealing their name and logo. So uh, yeah, I have a stealing their uh, identity. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the font looks the same, but um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm surprised Richard de Moss hasn't complained that they've nicknamed the name of his political party. Yeah. <laughs> Art for the Nach, yes. Even yeah. though, uh, even though uh, Richard de Moss was accused of uh, copyright infringement himself, right? When he uh, when yeah. he stole the uh, James Bond so, theme, the, and uh, <laughs> that was a good crazy ass moment, the, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, I think he, it is included on the on, somewhere <laughs> on the on the Twitter account. So uh, yeah. yes, that was that was indeed a very good uh, crazy ass moment. Uh, I have to say, I'm uh, I'm I'm I yeah, it is a little bit sad that uh, the Hermitage has uh, cut ties with uh, with the museum in Russia. I w always love to go there and see uh, yeah, the, the, the amazing art pieces of uh, of the St. Petersburg Museum. But yeah, it is understandable. I, I think it's kind of inevitable. Yeah, yeah. You, you could kind of do have to cut ties with Russia. But it's, it's kind of interesting Yeah, that until you forget how recently that the, there were quite strong cultural ties between the Netherlands and Russia. And they even uh, set up a year of friendship in yeah. 2014, ironically. And that was exactly the point of which everything started to unravel. Exactly, yes. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-on to the podcast and access to all our bonus content. 
My thanks to Palpators, I'm Gordon Derrick, and we will be back for the last time before the summer break next week. Yes.